This is BMO Smarter Investing for July 2022. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Gutierrez, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sal Gutierrez, and joining me is Doug Porter, Chief Economist, to discuss the big question on investors' minds. Is inflation peaking? And perhaps more importantly, how quickly will it fall? No one needs reminding that stubborn inflation presents the single biggest threat to the economic expansion and any hopes of a recovery in equity markets. As the Federal Reserve has flat out said, it will do pretty well whatever it takes to rein it in. Doug, you recently wrote on this issue in our Focus publication. Before we drill down to specifics, let's start with your high-level take. Is inflation topping out? I think the very short answer is not quite yet. We're close. And that's that's assuming energy prices don't do anything wild over over the next few months or so. I think I think we are very close. But I think from a very big picture view, the the important takeaway is that we're likely looking at relatively high headline inflation through the second half of this year before it really crests and starts to come down more meaningfully next year. And I think the other key point here is that even when that happens. It looks like we're still left with relatively robust core inflation that is going to be a tougher nut to crack over over the next 18 months. And I think that that's maybe the the more lasting important takeaway here is that we could be left with higher than comfortable core inflation. So a little light at the end of the, the tunnel, but it still seems to be flickering. And I guess a lot of things still need to go right to get inflation on that downward course. Now, in your article, you split the recent forces acting on inflation between the good, the bad, and the still very much uncertain. Let's let's start with the recent positive signs that suggest inflation might be topping out. Well, you know, right at the top of the deck would would be a bit of a pullback in in gasoline prices. But you know, as as we've seen many times this year, we can't really count on on lower energy prices to lead the way because you know we've had ups and downs and and there's an incredible amount of uncertainty on that front and I'll get more into that later. But in terms of things that are a little bit more sustainable, I think right at the top of the deck I'd look at other commodity prices, non-energy commodity prices have truly weakened and and a few I would note are you know a lot of the industrial metals and and I think that's largely been driven both by some of the shutdowns, rolling shutdowns we've seen in China, but also by growing concerns over a global economic downturn that has completely taken the steam out of industrial metals, and I would point to something really economically sensitive like copper, are really leading the the way on that front. But it's it's not just the metals. You know, things like lumber prices have have pulled back. Other other building materials have have eased a bit, and even crop prices, even a number of food prices have backed off. You know, for instance, if we look at things like wheat and corn prices, they're actually down from where they were before Russia invaded Ukraine. You know what? That was one of the really big initial concerns when the invasion took place: is that you know global food prices were going to spread higher, and they have risen, no question about it. But we, the crop prices at least have come down. A second item I point to is there are some early indications that supply chain pressures are starting to let up. You know, the chip shortage is going to be with us for a while, but more broadly, there's less pressure on global supply chains, and we see that in things like supplier delivery delays. Another thing I would point to is freight rates globally, and I think to some extent this is related to the supply chain issues. Even with high fuel prices, we've seen freight rates globally coming off a bit, which to me indicates that uh, some of the extreme pressures on the supply chain have eased. Retail inventories, 
They've risen a lot in the last year. This is an important element, helping take some of the steam out of things like, say, clothing prices or furniture prices and that sort of thing. Our retail inventories are building up as consumers are shifting away from good spending and more into services spending. On that note, used vehicle prices have lost a bit of steam. I said earlier the chip shortage is going to be with us for a while. I don't look for an outright pullback in, in vehicle prices anytime soon, but at least they've stopped rising. At least used car prices have stopped rising at the rate that we saw through last year. And I guess the final indication I'd point to is our very own in-house inflation monitor looks, looks like it is beginning to top out. It's a number of various indicators, but I think when you pull them all together, it does suggest that the, the most extreme pressure is, is beginning to relax. Several things moving in the right direction, at least perhaps not unwinding as quickly as we would like, but at least starting to put some downward pressure on, on inflation. It will be nice to see a more retail discounting on, on a lot of the goods that we were loading up on during the pandemic. So I think that's, that might be one area we can count on for some inflation relief. And as you mentioned, supply chains do seem to be improving, especially for microchips in the auto industry. You still have to wait a long time to get possession or delivery of a new vehicle, but at least things are improving on that side. And I think I would agree the most optimistic sign so far is that commodity prices, most commodity prices have have pulled back. And as as you mentioned, some of the crop prices now below their levels prior to the Ukraine war. So that's that's moving in the right direction. And hopefully energy prices will show more of a downward trend because that would really help. Now, unfortunately, you also talked about the forces that are, are still fanning the inflation flames. Can, can you discuss those? Yeah, and I think the one thing that the uh, the central banks are really focused on and, and arguably one of the reasons why the Fed hiked by you know, a surprise three quarters uh, percent uh, last month and the, the Bank of Canada recently went by a full percentage point, I think. The one thing both of them, I think, were focused on very much was a rise in inflation expectations. And there's a lot of different ways to measure that. There's market-based measures, there's survey-based measures, you know, and there, there's a variety of different surveys that are out there that, you know, try to get a handle on exactly what people are expecting on the inflation front. But I think it's fairly safe to say that when you put all those things together, inflation expectations have been grinding higher in the, in the last six months, and they're getting the levels that are just a little bit too hot for central bank comfort. And when we look out, that that's you know that's what can really unanchor inflation is is if some of these expectations do really get to bi- get built in over a longer period of time. Now the good news, since I wrote that piece, is just in the last few weeks, one of the surveys that the Fed watches from the University of Michigan actually has shown a little bit of a backing off in longer term inflation expectations. So that was some good news. But generally speaking, most surveys suggest that consumers and even businesses now are are looking for inflation to stay high. For a, for a little bit longer, and that can get inflation entrenched. Somewhat related, but a, a little bit of a different issue is, is wage pressures. You know, in the, in the U.S., we've seen, and there's different ways, lots of different measures of, of wages, but a lot of the measures are, are now pointing to wage increases of about 6%. That's, that's solid. That's decent. That's better than what we've seen in quite some time, but that's still well behind 9% inflation. So if anything, I, I see further pressure on wages in Canada Wages have just started to perk up now, and they are well behind 8% inflation. So there is still going to be a lot of pressure on, on the wage front. Perfectly understandable. I mean, workers have fallen miles behind inflation in, in the past year. It's perfectly understandable in a tight job market why they're pushing for, uh, for big wage increases. But from a central bank perspective, that, you know, insofar as it does get built into wage contracts, that can lead to you know, the inflation being sustained for longer than comfort. 
A third factor I would point to that leads to a bit of concern for me is the possibility that rents, both in Canada and the U.S., are only just now really beginning to rise in a, in a meaningful way and can, can sustain inflation for longer. And this, to some extent, is the followed from the boom in the housing market we've seen in the, in the last couple of years, is that we're now starting to see some real pressure on rents as well. Yeah, so still a lot of things that need to start turning around before we can wave the all-clear flag on, on the inflation front. And I, I think you know, there's the mix between wages and inflation expectations is, is probably critical. It's hard to see which is leading the other wages or prices, but I, I think especially here in Canada now, most recently with that acceleration in wages, pretty clear that households expecting higher inflation because they're just seeing persistence of inflation this year. And so they're seeking higher wage increases. So that's you know adding a little extra pressure to those core measures of inflation. So it'd be nice to see both expectations and of course, wage growth coming down as you mentioned, rents, yeah, probably clearly on an upward track in both the U.S. and Canada, just given the blazing increase in house prices that push so many people out of the market now. They just can't afford to, to own a house, so they're renting. Rental markets are drummed tight in both countries, and rents are, are climbing pretty quickly as, as a consequence. So we're likely to see a, a lot of persistence in rents pushing up inflation for a little while longer. Now, there, there are some things that we just don't have a good handle on yet, but uh, will play a pretty critical role in the inflation outlook and, and certainly are worth monitoring. Do you want to touch upon those items? Well, I think realistically, the, the two big wildcards here are food and energy prices, You know, the ones that really affect uh, literally uh, everyone. And frankly, they, they are wildcards. And energy, it's been very choppy ever since the invasion of, of Ukraine. Oil prices now are, are roughly $10 above where they were uh, pre-invasion levels. Natural gas prices are, are a fair bit higher as, as well, but they're, they're both well off their peaks. To me, this is, you know, this is the, the one area where you know, it, it could either help bring inflation down a lot faster than expected or you know, cause it to spike again. And frankly, you know, our, our view is that oil prices are likely to moderate a little bit over the next 18 months, gas prices to moderate a little bit. But we don't expect major relief on that front. Food prices, you know, frankly, a lot of it depends on, you know, how healthy this year's grain crop is in North America. If we get anything close to a normal crop, that's going to be a long way to, or going to go a long way to relieving some of the most severe strains we, we saw, at least on, in crop prices. But when you look at grocery prices, it's, it's very broadly based. You know, no matter which aisle you go down in the grocery store these days, you're going you're gonna to be facing sticker shock. I mean, in Canada, grocery prices are up by almost 10%. In the past year in the U.S., they're up by about 12%. And, and it's very broadly based. It's, it's not just due to last year's drought. It's not just due to things like dairy prices. It is absolutely every aisle in, in the store. And, and there's a different story behind, you know, each, each one of those aisles. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of different moving parts here. But, but I think it is, you know, both psychologically for the, for the average consumer, but also more importantly for the broader inflation outlook, I, th I think it is a real wild card. And frankly, I'm not brave enough to say that food prices have peaked. It is our view that they're likely to see a more moderate increase over the next year. But again, I think the rise is going to be far too hot for comfort, even in 2023. Yeah, it would be nice to see a sustained decline in 
both energy and food costs, given their large weight in the consumer basket and also their influence on on expectations and psychology. They're just items that we buy on a, a such a regular basis that when they're going up as fast as they have been, it can't help but push our, our expectations of overall inflation higher. That would be nice to see a sustained decline there. And I think that answers the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, if you had to name one or two things that would make you feel much more upbeat about the inflation outlook, what would they be? I presume sustained decline in energy and food costs are a couple items. Yeah, I would I would say the development that would make me feel a lot better about the inflation outlook right away would be, you know, some kind of cessation of hostilities in Ukraine. You know, even if it's a ceasefire or some kind of negotiated settlement. And and make no mistake, we had a serious inflation issue even before the invasion. You know, in Canada, inflation was almost 6%. It was almost 8% in the U.S. We, you know, we had a very serious issue even, even before the invasion. But at least it would take some of the froth out of, out of commodity prices. And to, to answer your question directly, yeah, I, th- I think the things that would make me feel a lot better would be to see oil prices come back down below $100 a barrel and, and stay there. I think that would go a long way to reducing inflation psychology about and consumer psychology about where inflation is going. Uh, but it would have a real effect on uh, on headline inflation as well. And much the same goes for food prices and grain prices specifically. Certainly would be nice to see the end of, of the war in Ukraine, not just for humanitarian reasons, but you're, you're quite right. I think that would take some pressure off both energy and food costs. And for energy, I guess, you know, the big issue here is we are seeing some demand destruction now because of slowing global growth, but we really have not seen much of a supply response uh, to these very high prices, just not seeing producers cranking it up like they normally would. So that's not helping matters. But, you know, ultimately, yeah, food and energy costs could come down. I think that would be almost half the fight in, in fighting inflation. Now, we can't discuss inflation without talking about the Fed's Herculean fight against it. Do you think the Fed will be successful in both taming inflation and avoiding a severe downturn? I think they'll ultimately be successful in taming inflation. I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to do this without uh, no right downturn. You know, our, our official odds on a U.S. recession or a Canadian recession over the next 18 months are a little bit below 50%, but uncomfortably high. Ultimately, central banks know how to conquer inflation. The question is whether they are willing to make us take that medicine, that harsh medicine, to get inflation down. And you know, we may well now be past the point of no return where it will require a downturn to, to really bring inflation out of the system. I suspect, you know, in, in a world where oil prices and food prices you know, don't give us a major break, I suspect what we're going to find is the, the Fed and the Bank of Canada will do no, enough to crack inflation to, to bring it down somewhat, but maybe not enough to really get us back to, to, to target. And this is still going to be an issue, you know, a year or two years from now. That inflation is down from the peak, but it, it still hasn't gotten back to, to the target and we really haven't corrected the, uh, the problem. So in other words, they, they basically go for a half a loaf solution where we manage to avoid a severe recession, but we don't really get inflation down to, uh, to comfortable levels yet. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if that's where we end up. You know, our, our official forecast, I, I wouldn't call it a soft landing. I would call it a hard-ish landing. We, we do see one quarter of negative GDP and another quarter of basically no growth. So I'd almost characterize that as a growth recession around the turn of this year. 
We do need a little bit of luck in terms of the supply chain issues. We also need a bit of luck on the energy and food price front. If, if we get all of that, then I think we can't avoid a severe recession, but it's going to be a very close call. And the fact that we're starting off with 9% inflation in the U.S. and 8% inflation in Canada really gives us a big, big challenge for, for the central banks to get through this without no right downturn in the, the economy. Yeah, it looks like the Fed really needs to get a lot of luck, basically, on the inflation front over the next while to avoid kind of a harder landing. I know we look back at six decades of policymaking, and the Fed has never achieved so-called soft landing when interest rates were this low at the start of the cycle and unemployment rates were as low as they were, and inflation was as high as it is. So they definitely need a lot of things to go right, and I guess starting with commodity prices pulling back over the next while, that would certainly help. Now, uh, let's switch to Canada. Do you see the Bank of Canada having perhaps an easier time controlling inflation than the Fed, given that inflation is running a percentage point lower in Canada than in the U.S.? I, I wouldn't say any, any central bank's job is easy. You know, easier is all, is all relative in this very tough environment. It's probably true the bank won't need to raise rates quite as much as the Fed. I think it's going to be close, though. I don't think there's going to be a great deal of difference between what the Bank of Canada and the, and the Fed ultimately do. It is, you know, I, I think your question is based on the, the fact that Canadian inflation has been running a little bit below the U.S. for about the past 18 months. And even in the latest month, we're still almost exactly a percentage point below U.S. inflation. But hey, it's still above 8%. You know, and, and, and when you look at core inflation, there really isn't that big of a difference between Canada and the U.S. And, and really, I think in, in terms of getting inflation all the way back down to target, it's core inflation we really have to look at. So I think at the end of the day, the Bank of Canada's task is almost as big as what the Fed faces. So I don't see a great deal of difference in terms of how much the central banks will need to raise interest rates. Our, our official call is that, you know, where, where we end up is the, the Fed will be you know, one rate hike above the uh, the Bank of Canada. But at, at this point, we're expecting both central banks to take their overnight rates to around 3.5% or a little bit higher in the, in the case of the Fed. I personally think the risk to that call is still to the upside. You know, all of us as, as forecasters over the last six months have been surprised at how quickly the central banks have raised rates. And I, I still think that is that is the risk, that they will end up having to do a little bit more than even what the markets got priced in or what our, our forecast is. I think we had some hope several months ago that the Bank of Canada might have a bit easier time than the Fed when inflation, you know, there was a little more daylight between the inflation rates in the two countries than the 1% percentage point rate we're seeing now. And wage growth was remarkably subdued in Canada up until a few months ago. But wow, it's really caught up in a hurry, at least by one measure. Yeah, I'm not so sure the Bank of Canada will have much easier time than the, the Fed in reining inflation in and, and avoiding a harder landing. Well, I guess a lot is riding on the inflation outlook. So I hope you're right that we are likely close to uh, peaking and that the subsequent decline should should at least allow central banks to move to the sidelines next year on interest rates. And that may give the economy you know, the breathing space that we're looking for and to, to avoid an outright recession. But it's, it's really going to be a close call. Well, thanks for the insight, Doug. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We're here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. 
And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, this is Michael Hyatt, host of the podcast Business Unplanned, brought to you by BMO. You can listen to the new season of Business Unplanned as we sit down with industry leaders from BMO, ADP, Moneris, and Meta. This season, we're going to be sharing how to work on, but not in your business. I'm also going to be sharing my perspectives on the business environment, opportunities for growth, and why it's just a great time to be a business owner. Future is great, and there are plenty of opportunities ahead, and we'll share them with you on Business Unplanned. Subscribe wherever you are and wherever you listen to podcasts.